Good morning, church. How are you this morning? Good morning, church. How are you this morning? There we go. All right, thank you. Man, I thought I was in a room by myself, but now I looked out and I see lots of people out there. So, uh, My name is JD. I am uh, one of the pastors of the church. I am uh, thankful to be uh, one of the pastors of this church for probably about the last almost uh, eight years. And so I'm really, uh, it has been a privilege. I love this church. I love uh, pastoring this church and shepherding this church. And um, over the time that I have been a pastor of this church, there's been one constant sorrow uh, that I have experienced as a pastor, and re- really one constant appreciation uh, that I've had. The sorrow uh, that is that most of you in this room are only here for a really short time. Uh, because of the transient nature of our church, uh, most of you will be uh, at another duty station or going back home at some point uh, to live with, uh, back with family. And so that's a, that's a hard thing uh, for a pastor uh, as we experience the transition of saying goodbye to, to people over and over and over again. One, one thing that's sorrowful in that, honestly, is I love the adults in this room, but it's really your kids. Like, I mean, just over time, we've, we have had hundreds of members in this church. I know there's not that many now in particular, but over the life of this church, we just celebrated 11 years, we have had literally hundreds of members of this church and literally thousands of kids in this church. Because if you look around, the average family in this church has about two or three kids, and so I'll give you a practical example of what that looks like. Uh, little Henry. Anybody remember Henry Miller? Few of us in the room still. It's only been 18 months, and very few of us still remember Henry Miller. That's crazy. But he is now in, in Pillar, Okinawa. But Henry Miller, I think, is now five. Uh, but when he, he grew up in the church for the first four years he was here. And uh, over that time, I got to be really close with Henry. And so he would bring me a picture every Sunday. And so from the parking lot, a lot of times I would just go, I'd be downstairs greeting people in the, uh, when it's not uh, 30 degrees outside. I would stand outside and I'd greet people. And Henry would see me from the parking lot. And he would come and he would look back at his parents and he would be like, hey, is it okay if I see Pastor JD? And they would say, go ahead. And he would just run full sprint every single Sunday. And I would grab him and I would just pick him up. And I was like, hey, man, what's going on? He wouldn't say a word. He would just smile and hand me his picture. I've got a, on my desk at home, I've got a little uh, uh, toy um, Lego airplane that he made me uh, that I keep on my desk, just as a reminder for uh, all the kids that have come through. And so I want, one of the laments that I have and sorrows or sadness is that I actually won't be able to be the pastor who marries a lot of these kids, Brian or I, because they won't be here. They'll have three or four other pastors before they ever get into adulthood. And so that's kind of something that is, that is sorrowful in, in, in me for this church, that I, I, I only have a short time with most of you. But an appreciation that I have for this church is that you're, we're a transient church. So the sorrow is the same as the appreciation. And why do I have an appreciation for a transient church? Because I realize that in the short time that you are here, that you and I, we have to press in. We have to be super intentional to be known and to get to know each other, right? Uh, and so 
that is what we have to do in the life of this church is that it keeps me all the time pressing into you. If I seem overly aggressive to get to know you, it's because we've got a really short time in the span of your, of your career that you're here for most of you. And I want to make sure that we are a church, that we are constantly pressing in and feeling the tension of the urgency to get to know one another, to grow with one another, to have build affection and love and in grace and mercy with one another. So I want to ask you this question. How do you view your time here in Jacksonville and especially with this church? How do you view your time here in Jacksonville and especially with this church? Are you pushing in to make fruitful relationships? Making every effort to grow in holiness? Are you pushing in to deepen your understanding of the Word and the Gospel? Are you striving to press into the church and give your life to the spread of the Gospel and the fruitfulness of the ministry God has called you to in this season of life? Or are you just temporary residents? Just here for a short time. Just trying to make it until you leave to go to the next place. Do you feel the weight of pressing into the church? Do you feel the weight of being being known uh, by others? That they would know you inside and out and that you would in turn begin to know them. Can you say that honestly? Or are you just doing the best you can to skate by? It's a word I learned this week that the Marines use. is called skate. I'm just going to go skate. I've always heard skating by, but it was a word that I was introduced to in the community group this week. I appreciate the, knowing the lingo that's happening around the military. But what we will see in our text today is that even though the Apostle Paul spent a really short time in, the, in Thessalonica. If you read Acts 17, he's actually there only about three weeks according to what it tells us. He was there for three Sabbaths. Probably there a little bit longer than that, but what, what we have in recorded history is that he was there for about three Sabbaths. But yet, yet, in that amount of time with the believers in Thessalonica, they did not waste time that they had. We will see the love and affection that the Apostle Paul has for the people in Thessalonica and how much the people in Thessalonica love him. Just in that short period of time, they poured into one another in an extraordinary way that is an example to all of us in this room. That we would live with intentionality and purpose to live worthy of God. Encourage and exhort one another to do this all the time as a church. So let's read our text today. It's 1 Thessalonians 2. 1 Thessalonians 2, 1 through 16. If you don't have a Bible, look up under the seat in front of you. Uh, There's a Bible that you can just grab. If you do not have a Bible of your own, use that. You can have it, take it with you. And uh, I encourage you to read it for yourself. 1 Thessalonians 2. 1 through 16. If you're unfamiliar with where Thessalonians is, it's towards the back end of the scriptures. 
For you yourselves, for you yourselves know, brothers, that our coming to you was not in vain. But though we had already suffered and been shamefully treated at Philippi, as you know, we had boldness in our God to declare to you the gospel of God in the midst of much conflict. For our appeal does not spring from error or impurity or any attempt to deceive. But just as we have been approved by God to be entrusted with the gospel, so we speak not to please man, but to please God who tests our hearts. For we never came with words of flattery, as you know, nor with a pretext for greed. God is witness. Nor did we seek glory from people, whether from you or from others, though we could have made demands as apostles of Christ. No, we were gentle among you, like a nursing mother taking care of her own children. So being affectionately desirous of you, we were ready to share with you not only the gospel of God, but also our own selves, because you had become very dear to us. For you remember, brothers, our labor and toil, we worked day and night, or night and day, that we might not be a burden to any of you while we proclaim to you the gospel of God. Yeah, you are witnesses, and God also, how holy and righteous and blameless was our conduct towards you believers. For you know how, like a father with his children, we exhorted each one of you and encouraged you and charged you to walk in a manner worthy of God who calls you into His own kingdom and glory. We also thank God constantly for this, that when you received the word of God, which you heard from us, you accepted it not as the word of men, but as what it really is, the Word of God, which is at work in you believers. For you brothers became imitators of the churches of God in Christ Jesus that are in Judea. For you suffered the same thing from your own countrymen as they did from the Jews who killed both the Lord Jesus and the prophets and drove us out and displeased God and opposed all mankind by hindering us from speaking to the Gentiles that they might be saved. So as always to fill up the measure of their sins. But wrath has come upon them at last. Let me pray. Lord Jesus, this is your word. Lord, would you use it to speak to us by the power of your Holy Spirit that it will, as Brian said, transform us, renew our minds, renew us day by day. In Jesus' name I humbly pray. Amen. My main premise this morning is this, be a faithful steward as you strive to live worthy of God. Be a faithful steward as you strive to live worthy of God. A good reminder of what it means to be a faithful steward is that God is the owner of all things, everything, and we get to manage it. God is the owner of all things, and the beauty of it is that we get to manage it. It's not our own. Nothing belongs to us. We are temporary residents in a foreign land if you're a Christian. 1 Corinthians 3.9 backs this up. He says, for we are God's fellow workers. We are God's field and God's building. So we are given by God, to steward the things that we have in this 
world. So we want to be faithful stewards who strive to live worthy of God. There are three emphases, emphases on what it means to be faithful stewards from our text this morning. The first one is this, that we would faithfully steward the gospel of God. That we would faithfully steward the gospel of God. The second is that we would faithfully steward our walk with God. That we would faithfully steward our walk with God. And the third emphasis is that we would faithfully steward the Word of God. That you and I would faithfully steward the Word of God. So the first emphasis is faithfully steward the Gospel of God. I believe in our section 1 through uh, 8 this morning, uh, in these first 8 verses, there are 7 ways in which He calls us to faithfully steward as Christians the Gospel of God. And the first one is this, that we would faithfully steward the Gospel with boldness. That you and I would steward the Gospel with boldness. Look at verse 1. For you yourselves know, brothers, that we came to you, and we didn't come to you in vain, but we came to you knowing that we were to be suffering, knowing that we came to you as those who had been um, uh, shamefully treated at Philippi. Yet, in the midst of, of, of persecution, in the midst of conflict, we came with Boldness in our God. To do what? To declare the gospel of God. To, re- to declare the good news of Jesus Christ with boldness. All throughout the book of Acts, all throughout the gospels, into the book of Acts, and into the epistles that we see that are written, there is a boldness that the apostles and those disciples, those early disciples, lived with in the midst of of that they would go and declare, despite persecution, despite even the possibility for death, that they would be faithful stewards to boldly proclaim the good news of Jesus Christ. Because they knew that the only way to get from life, from death to life, to go from being dead in our trespasses and sin to being alive in Christ was through the gospel of Jesus Christ. And yet, they moved and they worked and they labored in being bold with the gospel. The good news of Jesus. The second way in which Paul exhorts the church to be faithful stewards of the gospel is that they would be faithfully steward the gospel despite conflict. So we had boldness in our God, verse 2 to declare to you the gospel of God, which is the good news of Jesus Christ, in the midst of what? Conflict. If, if you remember a couple of weeks ago, we, we opened the, the, the Scriptures to Acts 17, and we saw where in the midst of Thessalonica, the, the Jews come and they, they come in and they just ravage the church. And they take Jason and, the, and other believers and they bring them before the council and they, they, they charge them with preaching in uh, preaching the good news of the gospel. And it was in the midst of this that they still lived with boldness in the midst of conflict. They still shared no matter what conflict was around. 
And so I just encourage you, brothers and sisters, number one, to share the gospel with boldness. Number two, don't worry about conflict. Throughout all the scriptures, there's conflict in preaching the good news of the gospel. Be faithful stewards in this. The third is uh, the third way, the third emphasis or exhortation from Paul is that we would faithfully steward the gospel by not attempting to deceive. Look at verse 3. For our appeal, for our reasoning, for our exhortation does not spring from error or impurity or any attempt to deceive. You see, I could preach a gospel this morning that would speak to your children in a way that would convince them that heaven is good and hell is bad. I could actually do that with the adults in the room. And many of you would respond, and kids especially, I've seen this over and over again in like kids' camps and other places, where the gospel is given in such a way where it scares the kids to believe because they want to escape hell, not believe in Jesus as God, the Father, as God, who is a son. And really, it's a manipula- manipulation of the truth in order to get more baptisms. If you look out throughout the landscape of the Baptist church and its history, most baptisms have come in the last hundred years through children. Now, I do believe that some of them have been saved. I believe I was saved in the midst of that. I believe that my oldest son was saved in the midst of that. But for most people, the reason that the church is losing many of its teenagers after they graduate from high school is because they were never believers to begin with. And I want us to be careful with deceiving and deception and manipulation of the gospel of the truth. It does not mean that we don't bring our kids up in the fear and admonition of the Lord, but we are careful in how we express the gospel, the good news of Jesus Christ. We don't do it to deceive. We don't have error. We don't have impurity. We are honest. We believe the good news of the gospel because we get Jesus. And in turn, we get freedom from hell. And God's wrath, and we experience His mercy through Christ. That's the beauty of the gospel. We must be faithful stewards of that gospel. That we wouldn't convince people to believe Because they get to escape something, but they get to get something. And that is Jesus Christ as Lord and Savior. The fourth is this, that we will be faithfully steward the gospel because it's what we've been entrusted with. It's what God has given to us. For every believer who has been united with Christ, He has entrusted you with the gospel. Just so you know, I'm not making it up. Verse 4, just as we have been approved by God to be entrusted with the gospel. Every believer, you don't get a pass on this. We have been entrusted with the gospel of Jesus Christ. Therefore, we must faithfully go and proclaim what God has done in us to others who are perishing. We must be faithful in this. We must be actually obedience in this. It's a command. It's not just all throughout this. As I read Thessalonians, I am convinced that that we live in an idealistic world. 
where everything seems like a good idea on principle. But most of the Bible actually works on command. Like even us being faithful stewards to go and proclaim the good news of the gospel is actually a command that Jesus gives to us. To go, therefore, and make disciples of all nations. It's not just a good idea that he gave to go, hey, if you want to, go and tell the good news of the gospel to others. No, he is saying it is a command that you go and do this as a commission, as one of his ambassadors, that we get to do this. And so we do it with boldness, we do it with clarity, we do it without deceiving, and we do it because we are entrusted vessels for his glory. I just want to encourage you, if you're not regularly being faithful and sharing the gospel, if you're not actually being faithful and rehearsing the gospel to yourself, start there. Because the more and more you rehearse the gospel to yourself, the more and more you will know the gospel and be able to tell the others about how it's affecting your life and your testimony. So you've been entrusted with the gospel. The fifth way is to faithfully steward the gospel Not to please man, but to please God. Who are you in it for? If you're walking as a Christian this morning, if you're living as a Christian, you have faithfully put your trust in Christ Jesus. And you have been entrusted with the gospel not to please man, but to please God. I know that when I stand before the Lord Jesus, on that day when I leave this world and go to the next, I I desperately want to hear, well done, good and faithful servant. But I also want to be found uh, innocent of just holding on to the gospel for myself over and over again in a way that pleases man instead of pleasing God. I am prone, just as a confession to you, I am prone to desire to please man. It's just my natural take. I want you to think well of me. I want you to like me. But I also know that I, don't, that I don't stand before you whenever I leave this world and go to the next. I actually stand before God and have to give an account then for how I lived. And I pray that I would be able to, to please God instead of pleasing man with my speech and my speaking, who, God who tests our hearts, verse 4. The sixth way that we are faithfully stewards of the gospel is by not seeking self-glory. By not seeking self-glory. Look at verse 6. Nor did we seek glory from people, whether from you or from others, though we could have made demands as apostles of Christ. They could have demanded it. They could have sought glory for themselves. They could have said, hey, you need to do this because you need to glorify us. And they didn't. Do that because they want to please God and not man. So do not seek self-glory. If God gives you the benefit of leading someone to Christ, thank you for your faithfulness, but you had nothing to do with it outside of your faithfulness. The Holy Spirit working in the hearts of people. John 6.44, no one comes to the Father unless who draws them? You? No, unless God draws them. It is God at work in people's hearts. The thing is, we don't know whose hearts He's working in. It could be your co-worker's heart. It could be your neighbor's heart, your friend's heart, one of your family members' heart. Our 
responsibility is to be faithful stewards of the gospel. Proclaim it clearly, not with deception or error or impurity, but be pure with pure motives. The seventh way is that we faithfully steward the gospel by actually loving others. How many of you here would be confessed to be introverts? You don't even want to raise your hands right now because you're an introvert. It's hard to share your life with others and to be known when, you're, when you categorize yourself as an introvert. But yet, look at what happens in verse 8. Actually, look at what happens in verse 7 first. We were gentle among you. Like a nursing mother. She identifies. Paul identifies himself like, as, as, an, as a, like a nursing mother taking care of her, her own children. That's, that's how he felt about these, this church in Thessalonica. And he, would, he loved them in such a way that he would take care of her like his own child. Later on, he'll, he'll say, he'll, he'll compare himself to a father. So, being affectionately desirous of you, we were ready to share with you not only the gospel of God, but what? Our very lives. So, if you, as you faithfully steward the gospel of God, remember that you are also to faithfully steward and give up your life for the sake of others. It is called having a laid down life. We celebrate every, uh, celebrate, we, we go every year, the men, and we do something called man down. And the reason it's called man down is because we as men talk about what it means to live a laid down life. To become like a nursing mother, affectionate for one another and for the church. You might not like to compare yourself to a nursing mother, men. I encourage you to think more like that. About those that are around you, those who are in your community, those that you are in church with, that members of the church together with, that you would be sharing your very lives because people are very dear to you. Commit to this. Commit to be faithful stewards of the gospel of God. That you would love others in a way that is exceptional. You would give your life to see others know the good news of the gospel. To faithfully steward the gospel. Share the gospel and share yourself. That's what Paul and the apostles did during that time. They shared their very lives. That's the first emphasis. Emphasis. The second emphasis is this, that you would faithfully steward your walk with God. Faithfully steward your walk with God. If you want to understand what walk means, just faithfully steward your life. Faithfully steward your life. This is verse 9 through 12. Look at verse 9. For you remember, brothers, our labor and toil... We worked night and day that we might not be a burden to any of you. 
while we proclaim to you the gospel of God. And what he is saying that there is that, hey, when we were with you, we took nothing from you. We didn't take payment. We didn't, we didn't take anything that y'all gave us. We took care of it ourselves. And before you consider that this might be the way that all churches should function, that, that we shouldn't have paid pastors or paid staff because uh, uh, you should work like this so you don't take away from the church. If you turn just a couple chapters over to 2 Thessalonians 3, Paul's going to give a commentary on why he did this. 2 Thessalonians 3. We're going to come to this uh, in, a, in a few weeks uh, with a guest speaker named Jeff Brewer who's going to be here from Word Partners. I very much look forward to this. So I'm not going to preach this, but I am going to give credence to the fact that, that we should have, as much as humanly possible, paid staff in a church, because number one, it's biblical. But two, because this is, only, this is an exception, not the rule. Look at verse 6 in chapter 3. Now we command you, brothers, in the name of our Lord Jesus Christ, that you keep away from any brother who is walking in idleness and not in accord with the tradition that you receive from us. For you yourselves know how you ought to imitate us because we were not idle when we were with you. Nor did we eat anyone's bread without paying for it, but with toil and labor we worked night and day that we might not be a burden to any of you. It was not because we don't have the right but to give you in ourselves an example to imitate. That is why they didn't take any money or anything else. It was to be an example to those who are walking in idle laziness. They needed to show them what it meant to work and to toil and to strive in the life of the church and therefore to be imitators of them, of Paul and Timothy and Silas. So we proclaimed the gospel of God. Not only did we proclaim to you, we showed you how to live. We showed you how to live and walk in a manner worthy of God. How do we know? Because you are witnesses, verse 10, and God also, how holy and righteous and blameless was our conduct. They lived, what, they lived exemplary lives that were above reproach to be an example to these new Christians in Thessalonica. It's a beautiful picture of how we should live, how we should work and how we should strive and how we should labor in the life of our church. Verse 11, for you know, like a father, like a father with his children who exhorts them, how many fathers in this room, how many of you exhort your children? How many of you encourage your child? That's what it says. He exhorted each one of you. We encouraged you. We even charged you to, to live and to walk in a manner worthy of God who calls you into His own kingdom and glory. If you want to have a, a verse that encompasses all of 1 Thessalonians, this is it. That you would walk in a manner worthy of God who calls you into His own kingdom and glory. The high point of 1 Thessalonians. And I wonder, are you doing this? 
If you examine your own life, are you walking in a manner worthy of God? Are you living exemplary lives, holy and righteous and blameless? Or you may ask the question, how do we walk in a manner worthy of God? I don't really know what that means. As I have been reading and studying First and Second Thessalonians, one thing that has stood out is the urgency toward living faithful, obedient, sacrificial, self-giving lives. Over and over again, Paul exhorts the Thessalonians to do that. To live exemplary lives. And as I was considering how I could convey this to you and help you consider what it means to live worthy of God as faithful stewards, I thought about our membership covenant. The very thing that you agree to as members, if you're members here, that you've agreed to. And if you're not a member here, that's okay. It will still apply to you in many ways. I think you'll still find it helpful to consider um, these principles that are commands in Scripture that help us in this life. Matter of fact, there's a membership class today following the service. We offer a free meal. Brian and Kelly O'Day will walk you through what it means to be a a member of this church. It is not an obligation. Uh, If you go through the class, you'll have to be a member. I do encourage you, if you're looking for a church, it's a great way to be introduced to who we are. But for the members that are here, I wonder how, how, how often you actually reflect on the membership covenant. My guess is you, you probably uh, read it about four times a year when we have a members meeting. Because we read it before every members meeting. But I just want to take you to, uh, Keegan, if you'll click one slide, I want to just introduce you to the second section. It's a great starting point. It's a great starting point. I'm going to read it for us. You can follow along with me. This is what you are committed to do as a member of this church. It's just a great place to think about how how do I walk in a manner worthy of God? How do I live here in this world a life that is worthy of God and what He calls us to? Here's what he says. We commit, therefore, not on our own understanding, but by the aid of the Holy Spirit, to walk together in Christian love, to strive for the advancement of this church in knowledge, holiness, and peace, to promote its maturity and fruitfulness, to sustain its corporate worship, ordinances, and discipline, to regularly assemble together to worship God and mutually build one another up in Christ. To welcome and test instructions from the elder scriptures by the elders of the church, which accords with the statement of beliefs. To faithfully attend members' meetings. To contribute cheerfully and regularly to the support of the ministry, the expenses of the church, the relief of the poor, and the spread of the gospel through all nations. As you read here, these are not just principles and good ideas. There's actually chapters and verses that back, the, back up everything that this 
tents? Are you committed to walk together in Christian love? Are you committed to strive for the advancement of this church's knowledge and holiness and peace by striving yourself for knowledge and holiness and peace? Are you even interested in promoting its maturity and fruitfulness? Do you support in sustaining the corporate worship, the ordinances, which are baptism and Lord's Supper, and its discipline? Do you commit to regularly assemble together to worship God and mutually build one another in Christ? Are you willing to call out those who are missing church regularly, if you know them? Do you welcome and test instruction from the Scriptures? Do you faithfully attend members' meetings? Do you cheerfully and obediently give to this church through your tithes and offerings? Are you faithfully contributing and giving to the support of this ministry, the expenses of the church, the relief of the poor, and the spread of the gospel through all nations? I think the question to ask yourself as you sit here is, which one of these am I missing? Am I missing all of them? Am I missing the mark on some of them? Am I missing the mark on one of them? Which one is that? I'm missing the mark on none of them. Praise God. There's three other verses that go in our covenant. But this one, you're looking for a place to start and begin to walk in a manner worthy of God, this is it. Commit, strive by the aid of the Holy Spirit to do these things. I just want you to be faithful stewards in your walk with God. In God's economy, they are non-negotiables. Like the Bible is clear that these are not negotiable. In God's economy. I just want you to consider what it means to commit to these things, to strive for these things, to wrap your life around these things that help you walk in a manner worthy of God. Why? Because eternity is at stake. Look at, the, look at the last part of that. Charge you to walk in a manner worthy of God who does what? Calls you into His own kingdom and glory. I mean, isn't that what we're all living and striving toward? I hope it is for you. I hope that's what you're living and stri- striving for. I hope that is that's what you're... Uh, I hope that you are... Uh, desiring and purposing your life to reach eternal glory with Jesus. That you would be like Paul, understanding that actually to die is gain. Because we get to be ushered into where? Jesus' kingdom and glory. Through the gospel of Jesus Christ. doesn't happen by accident. It happens through the Holy Spirit moving in our lives through the power of the Gospel and empowering us to live for Him and not ourselves.
Are you living for Christ? Are you living in a manner worthy of God? The other question is, if you're here and you have not placed your faith and trust in Christ Jesus, I encourage you that today is a day of salvation. That if you confess with your mouth and that if you believe in Jesus Christ as Lord and Savior, the promise from the Scripture is that you will be saved. That Jesus came into this world and paid a debt that you could not pay. The ransom was too great and He paid it for you. He became the ransom that you could not pay and the debt that you could not afford because of your sin. And this chasm exists that, that exists between God and man. But, as we read earlier, but Christ. But Christ. Entered into this world. Took on the sin of all those who believe. Died on a cross that you deserve to die on. And paid the penalty of our, de- of our sin and our debt. Christ. Do you faithfully steward and live in a manner worthy of God? I've got to move quickly on this last one, even though I don't want to. The third emphasis is this, that you would faithfully steward the Word of God. That you would faithfully steward. That's 13 through 16. Paul says, we thank God constantly for this. That when you received the Word of God that you heard from us, the preached Word, just like we're doing here on this Sunday, you accepted it not as the Word of men, but what it really is, which is what? The Word of God. Which is at work in you believers. There's a threefold emphasis here. One that you need to know and re- remember for every single Sunday and every single time that you open the Scriptures. What's the first thing they did when they opened them, when they heard the Word? They did what? Received it. They received it. It says that when you received the Word of God which you heard from us, then they did what? They accepted it. They received it. They heard it. They understood it. Then they accepted that it was the Word of God. And then they did what? They learned to apply it. Look at what it says. You accepted it not as the word of man, but what it really is, the word of God, which is at work in you. That is proper application of the Scriptures. They received it. They accepted it. And it was applied to their life. Is that true of you? Does the word having its full effect impact you in this way. You know, oftentimes, as I prepare to preach, I have this hope, I have this hope that something I say will be an epiphany to someone. Kind of like an aha moment. Like, Man, I never knew that. Or I, I, I'm not doing that. Or, or I get it. Like, come up and say, man, I get it. I just want to tell you that hardly ever happens. Hardly ever happens. And here's why. Because for many of us, the Word has to ha- take time to be received, to be accepted, and to be applied. It doesn't happen in aha moments. But here's what I know. And here's what I've seen. 
that the right preaching of the Word over a long period of time creates change and transformation. The Word of God being preached, being read, being being received and accepted and applied over a long period of time is where lives slowly but steadily begin to change towards gospel faithfulness. I just encourage you. Sat down with a brother this week. Hopefully he doesn't mind me sharing. I didn't ask him. But one of the questions that I oftentimes ask this time of year, ask it to our community group, they'll know. What's, what's, a, what's a spiritual resolution that you made this year? And usually somebody, your Christians usually has one. He said, I just want to draw closer to the Lord. Okay, good. James tells us the promise is that if you draw closer to God, uh, He will draw closer to you. That's the promise. Okay? He said, all right, how are you doing that? How do you plan on the course of action to do that? He said, I plan on just reading the Word, praying the Word, being in the Word. Yes and amen. Brothers and sisters, I just encourage you to be faithful stewards of the Word that are reading it, receiving it, accepting it as truth, and then applying it to your lives in a way that is moving you away from sin and towards being blameless, towards holiness, and towards righteousness. As you conduct yourself as believers, And in so doing, in so doing, there will be sufferings. There will be persecution. If you read the rest of this, in 14 through 16, there will be people that will always be attacking us. But the truth is that we need each other to get through this life. Even though we have not suffered the same persecution as the church in Thessalonica and the church in Judea, we still fight the battle from within and without, that we cannot and should not fight alone. You see, the church is made up of brothers and sisters joined together under the umbrella of Christ Jesus. Therefore, we stand as a united front, seeking to help one another faithfully steward not only our own lives, but to encourage and help others as well. If we follow the line that runs through the Scriptures, it's not hard to see that we will always deal with those who are against the Gospel of God. It started early in Genesis, ran through the prophets who were killed for their faithful proclamation, and continued on the New Testament, the killing of Jesus, His apostles, and many of the early disciples. And many across the world today, I mentioned this in our sermon a couple weeks ago, but um, persecution, martyrdom is as uh, rampant today as it was in the early first century. But we also need to understand the promise that judgment is on their head and it will be on the head of all those who oppose the good news of Jesus. That's what the rest of this text says. So be a faithful steward as you strive to live worthy of God. I encourage you to take some time to examine your heart. Are you being intentional to grow in the Lord? Pressing into being known and knowing others in the life of the church as you walk in a manner worthy of God who calls you 
into his own kingdom and glory. Praise God. Let's pray. Jesus, we thank you for your word. Thank you for the goodness, the reminders that we have here to be faithful stewards, who live in an, as exiles in a foreign land, but yet we live here nonetheless. Help us to live worthy of you. It's in Jesus' name I humbly pray. Amen.